As those of you who listened last week know, Liel has sworn off swearing for Lent, and Stephanie is going to cut back on the word like. I, however, am free to say whatever the Fabrengen I want, and I just might do that. This has been your obscenity warning. Should we like do the Haman treatment and every time they say Kevin Spacey, just like rock our grogger? Like, right, grogger. Kevin no, Spacey. Insert grogger noise here. Ooh. We should be groggering everyone. These Kevin right. Spacey. Eric Greitman's grogger. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by senior writer Liel Leibowitz. Chag Purim Sameach. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Same. Same. Ditto. Ditto Butnick. This week, we are joined by return Jew of the Week. Is this a, is this a three-peat for him? Yeah. yeah but is he, I think he's the first third-time returning Jew of the Week. At this point, we can't call him. Ret- we have to give him titles like the, the Star Wars movie, right? <laughs> right. The Last Jordan. The Last Jordan. Jordan Hoffman, (laughs) film critic Jordan Hoffman. And we will be joined by first-time Gentile of the Week, Asha Rangappa. Arguably, they think the first Indian-American woman ever to serve in the FBI. Also a TV analyst, lawyer, also just, she's just boss. General boss. She's just general boss. I don't know if we should call her a TV analyst. That that implies like she's not a real analyst, but just, just plays, plays one on, on TV. TV. <laughs> like we're, like when we're <laughs> well, on she's TV. She's like, actually like a CNN analyst. Like we're podcast experts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it's really good to be back. It was yeah. very hard for me sitting out last week. I listened to the show that I had missed recording on Tuesday. And on, on Friday, when I was uh, driving to my gig at Greenwich Reform Synagogue, where there were some lovely people. Clearly, if you have reformed Jewish needs in Fairfield County, Greenwich Reform Synagogue of Rabbi Jordi Gerson <laughs> is the place to be. I mean, she is she's a fine spiritual leader. If her people are half as fine as she is, which I think they are based on my evening with them. That is Reform Central. And if they're not, she will elevate them. She will, ele- yeah. As but here's what's interesting. Does. What's interesting is she actually picked the week that I was coming to give the talk that she'd booked me to give for her to go to Boulder, Colorado to see friends and go skiing. So her dad, Rabbi Gary Gerson, who inspired her to go into the rabbinate, flew in from Chicago to superintend my visits. <laughs> so she, like, he was babysitting. <laughs> he was babysitting, exactly. <laughs> um, he looks identical to her. It was it was wonderful, though. You saw absolutely where, where she got her, her her mix of warmth and gravitas. Um, and yeah, it was so it was fun. But listening to you guys and not being able to weigh in on um, that question about the best Jewish TV character ever was painful. I represented you, though, to be fair. Poorly. Really? Poorly. You so, would not have said Andrea? So the question was, if it was June Thomas's question, who's the best Jewish TV character ever? Liel says, well, if Mark were here, he would say Andrea Zuckerman from 90210. That's right. Now, look, all the love in the world to Gabrielle Carteris, the uh-huh. actress who played Andrea. We want to have her on the show. She should be a Jew of the week, clearly. President of SAG. President of SAG, union activist, actor, humanitarian, scholar, <laughs> Gabrielle Carteris. That said, Andrea Zuckerman, her character was a bit of a pill. I mean, that's not even close. It seems obvious to me that the best Jewish TV character ever is John Munch, played by Richard Belzer, mm-hmm. on Homicide, on Law and Order, on Arrested Development, on The X-Files, on The Wire, on 30 Rock. So he just plays, I mean, I love he him plays. on Law and Order. I have to tell you, I, I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm a really convert. good. He's like a cranky, yeah. but very- He's a cranky okay. conspiracy yeah. theorist Jewish cop, a homicide detective. Also who arguably been, the most crossover yeah. character in the history of television, yeah, right? That's right. Probably. No, yeah. And 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 Belzer's a cool cat in his own life. I mean he's a good comic. He's an interesting writer. I mean it just so thank you. You you're with me there? Yeah. 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 And I mean I still love Grandpa Lewis. I think that was a really lot. good one. Well June Thomas's mind was blown by that. She's uh, like, oh my God, I didn't even see the Jewish. But I mean I just love that conversation because Rhoda Morgenstern was like why she came here. 
Yeah, I love it. It's it's true. It's true. She came to America for Rhoda. I also could have said that the net, like friend find on the nanny, and that how I just didn't even realize she this was is, Jewish. She was just right. person. She was just a person. <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone else, it was like their first understanding of, or not, our first depiction of Jewishness on screen. Uh, she just read. I was his, just like, what do you mean? She's from Queens. She's she's just person to you. <laughs> um, and the only other news I have to report, aside from my major fear of missing out, is that my, as you can see, my unorthodox shirt came, but in the old design, which we've since corrected. It, on a purple background, you can't see the un. So I'm just wearing a shirt that says Orthodox. It's very strange. It's it's, in a, it's exactly it's like our logo from from the iTunes um, app, and it just says Orthodox. You can see that there's some sort of like schmutz in the corner. Right, the little carrot with the un. Yeah, but this goes to to sort of prove Esther, our art director Esther Werdiger's point, which is. Don't do that shirt. No one's going to be able to see the un. <laughs> so she redesigned it for us. The, the shirt you would get now has a visible un. Yeah. I, however, am, am this, I mean, the early edition, limited edition, yeah. Hannes Wagner. I have to say, you it's know. like a very soft tea. It's like, <sighs> it's a good tea. It's heavenly. I mean, maybe as a Pormspiel, we should just do a uh, show called Orthodox. <laughs> Some news of the Jews. And it's a, it's a doozy this week. I love Missouri Governor Eric Greitens. This guy is a Jew. He's a Navy SEAL. He's a Republican. He's a, or he's a Marine. He's something real. He'll, he will bust a cap in your ass. This guy is super macho. Uh, he's Governor of Missouri. He's rising. He was Governor of Missouri. <laughs> rising Republican Jewish star. Just arrested for this. This is a Jewish story only in that the guy's Jewish. Uh, nothing Jewish about this story. One hopes he was arrested for invasion of privacy. He took a picture of the woman he was having an affair with. Um, the The grand jury seems to believe the, this is all alleged, and the evidence isn't out yet. That Mr. Greitens took a nude photograph of his mistress um, while she was blindfolded and bound with tape to an exercise machine. Then, after their breakup, he threatened to publicize the image. Uh, he was basically blackmailing her with this photograph, and she's like, "Yo, bro." you can't take photographs of me while I'm tied up and bound to your exercise machine. And there are many things I find very disturbing about this story. However, there's one thing that I find particularly interesting, disturbing about the story, which is the exercise machine. <laughs> Don't bring exercise machines into your, into into your, your sex <laughs> life. That's just wrong. It should just be separate. It's just, you know? re- I mean, it's a horrifying story. Horrifying and story. unfortunately not that shocking, right? Like we we hear so many stories like this now and it's, it's just like, by the way, like everyone's the worst. Yeah. Um, that's my takeaway of like the last few months. Everyone is <laughs> everyone the, worst. the worst. But he, I think he took the picture and was like, now you'll never tell anyone about this. And it's just like. <sighs> and Jewish politicians, if you really want to be corrupt for something, take 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 a note from the master. Go like pistachio ice cream, yeah. like BB, you know, yeah. go go lawn furniture. Yeah. Go old school corruption. Just 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 embezzle something. Would That's you right. just freaking embezzle something? You don't need Proud. to bring exercise machines into this. We're <laughs> Financial What's crimes. wrong with you? <laughs> Only. Yeah, right. What kind of Jewish guy is it? What is he doing with an exercise what machine? What kind of a Jew has an exercise machine in his home? <laughs> For shame. A story out of Liel's favorite country, Belgium. According to the Jewish Telegraphic which, which Agency, is? it I mean, we have to we have to say it. It's a tagline. Belgium, which is Belgium, which is, which is the world's Pedophile capital. That's where, that's where does that correct. Where even come from? Liel is Reality. this thing. Re- is that <laughs> like a like a Wikipedia? Yeah. Uh, ask any French person you want. According to my wife, the only things that come from Belgium are pedophiles, chocolate, and French fries. Josh Cross, producer wow. Josh Cross, breaking it down. Fact verified. I don't even understand. Pedophiles, French fries, and chocolate. Mm-hmm. And if they do it right, it combines all three. <laughs> I was going to say two out of the three are like things I would... at some point they should like come after us with a lawsuit. Belgium will sue us. Anyway, according to this story, um, a whole bunch of Icelandic doctors are pushing for a ban on male circumcision in Iceland. And for some reason, and which, you know, problematic enough, right, that they're basically trying to drive the Jews out of Europe by banning circumcision. Uh 
But for some reason, a bunch of Belgian doctors have also signed on to this particular petition. So the headline from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency is like, Icelandic doctors and Belgian doctors try to ban circumcision in Iceland, which is bizarre. It's like Belgian doctors, just stay in your lane, right? Like well, you, <laughs> you work on driving Jews out of Belgium, the Icelandic Sigmund's daughters and Falkland's daughters and- The Belgians are like, you, oh, we're persecuting <laughs> Jews again? Awesome. They hopped a plane. I was waiting for that to come back. See, you know how in like America, we kind of relive the past and the nostalgia by like remaking, you know, the A-Team and Rocky and like right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and movies that- Star Wars movies. Be, right, yeah. don't need to be remade. And Belgium's like, you know what we could do to make Belgium great? again <laughs> remember, the, remember the jews where can we sign on to an anti-jewish campaign yeah. they literally googled it they were like, there's something anti-jewish going on in iceland anti-jewish plus law plus where can <laughs> i sign up no i feel like there is a, a like this like sinister thread of both the the bills to allow conversion and also the ritual slaughter bans like they sort of go hand in hand in, in different countries and they target you know specifically jews and muslims and it's and, and then totally they say like up this is not religious persecution it's it's penile protection. This is just mm-hmm. to protect the penis and the cows. Listeners, we we will be doing a special circumcision episode. That's been pretty well agreed by and the whole team. Anyone here. here, anyone in our vast community of vast. wonderful listeners, would like to have a circumcision performed live on the air. <laughs> An Orthodox will pay for that. We totally will. We will pay for your and moyle. one of us will perform it. <laughs> this has really one. spiraled out of control. All right, to bring it back for the capstone news of the Jews story. Wow. Holy cow. Uh, this is out of Amsterdam. Holy cow? Oh, holy or, holy dog. Or holy dog. I can't improve. Hot dog. I can't improve on the lead from the, uh, from the Jerusalem Post. So I'm just going to read. A 19-year-old Palestinian man is suing a Dutch dog breeder who sold a dog to the Israeli army that the claimant said bit him during a riot in the West Bank. Hamza Abu Hashem was bitten in 2014 while throwing stones at Israeli soldiers, according to the Telegraph Daily's report Thursday on the unusual lawsuit. He sued the Four Winds Canine Dog Breeding Company in southern Netherlands for $13,500 in damages. The company, however, says that it's not responsible for what Israel does with its army dogs. But Lisbeth Tegveld, Abu Hashem's attorney in the Netherlands, told the Algemeen Dogblatt, it's actually called the Dogblatt in Germany to be the Tagblatt. The Tagblatt. Here's the Dogblatt. It's the Dogblatt, which is oh so appropriate. Uh, she told the Dogblatt that the money for psychological damages should be paid to her client. She's seeking an injunction outlawing the sale of dogs to Israel. So the lawsuit is actually asking the Dutch government to ban the sale of any dogs to Israel because they might be used to bite Palestinians. I want to say, by the way, that I take dog bites seriously, and I know that they can be very traumatizing and very painful for the people who suffer them. There's something about the idea of going after the Netherlands, though, just being like, you bred the dog. I mean, it's like, it is a kind of drop of blood rules. Like, if the dog originated in the Netherlands, we're going to sue the Netherlands. And as a dog owner, that's that's what troubles me about. It's like, let, if you're, sue the dogs or sue the Israeli army. But- how, how do you serve a dog with, a, like, a subpoena? Sit! Yeah, you wrap Stay you wrap it around you wrap Here's it around peanut butter. You have to wrap it around <laughs> peanut butter or ham. You know or what something. they say? People in dog houses shouldn't shouldn't throw, throw stones. Shouldn't throw treats. Throw bones. Throw bones. Oh, nice, shouldn't, Josh Cross. I just think throw bones. this whole thing is kind of it's intense. It's for the dogs, and of course, Purim this week. So Purim actually this year is really interesting in light of of the Me Too movement, right? In the in light of us sort of taking reckoning with this idea that men abuse power in a lot of a lot of um different but really perverse right. and twisted ways and 
And you considering know, the fact that the book's heroine is a 13-year-old girl who was kidnapped from her home and then basically systematically raped but by let's the start, king. Let's start, let's start earlier than that, right? Like the, the story as we knew it was we, we learned it was sort of there was King Ahasuerus, a silly, silly king. Oh, tell <laughs> me what was his name. King. Okay, his name was Ahasuerus. And so he basically sends his wife to death because he calls her to perform in front of his friends and N- the, idea, the idea is that it's naked. And so mm-hmm. I remember... At a very young age, learning that Vashti, she she refused to be to sort of show herself to these men, and she was they beheaded or right they, they killed her. Correct. And so, and then there's a, there's a basically like a beauty contest among the land to find the most beautiful replacement queen. A really disturbing one because, as the Talmud, uh, well, as the book actually tells us, and the Talmud expounds, they would uh, kidnap prepubescent girls. They would wait for them to get their first period, and then they would spend a period of twelve months. Uh, six months anointing them in oils, which is gross. Ew. And then six months uh, just dousing them in perfume before they appear uh, in front of King Ahasuerus. So Ahasuerus... Very, so that's not the version we learned in Hebrew school. <laughs> <laughs> very, very Harvey. Yeah. But, but, and then basically Esther saves the day because Esther conceals her, Jew, her Jewishness and he, she basically becomes queen and... And then thwarts a plan to kill all the Jews. Yeah, the lottery to kill all the Jews. And this time last year, people were saying Ivanka's the the Esther of this administration. She's going to save us all, which is like super twisted in a lot of ways because she's his daughter. Daughter, not his consort or wife. There's two different problematic stories of women in this, right? We have Vashti who this idea of consent um, really, really applies there, right? And then there actually are people, there's, there's a movement to do hashtag I am Vashti this year. I don't know if it's taking off. but except for... The Talmud also tells us that Vashti was actually a horrible, horrible tyrant who liked to torture Jewish women by making them work, A, naked, B, on the Sabbath. So hashtag I am so probably she, not Vashti, okay. but hashtag I am Esther. So yeah, and then Esther, who we see as this heroine, but also like had to use her feminine wiles. I remember that was like the first time I heard that phrase, feminine wiles. And she basically seduced the king and then got him to do her... Her bidding, essentially. She basically had to sleep with the king to save the Jews. It's much more than that. It's uh, the story is actually so freaking incredible. She has an audience with the king, and instead of being like, "Could you do me a solid and not just not like kill my people, kill all my relatives?" You and your best buddy Haman here come over for dinner, which of course gets the king thinking. Wait a minute. Why is she inviting me and my best friend to her bedroom for dinner? Oh God! Oh God! No, but that's the story of of the Megillah, and then the king like starts getting a little bit, you know, paranoid because he was and then he can't sleep at night. And then the whole thing uh, evolves beautifully. Very, very, very smart Jewish woman. A lot of people say it. So you're saying I shouldn't take my kids to the Megillah reading tonight. Oh, I think you should get them drunk. <laughs> get them drunk. Especially the little one and take them to the Megillah We should reading. get groggers yeah. for the studio. We should have groggers. And also, like, it's a reminder that actually Jewish literature is amazing. It is. Like, the act- actually, and 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 never Nothing. stops being relevant. I don't know. Nothing I feel like, like I regret asking for the whole Megillah. <laughs> I like the version, <laughs> the sanitized version that I learned. <laughs> All 
return visit this week from our official, unofficial in-house unorthodox film critic. We have got Jordan Hoffman here with us. Hello. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. He writes for the New York Daily News, Vanity Fair, The Times of Israel, and he hosts Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. These are all true things, and it's a pleasure to be back. If I'm back, I think one more time I get a jacket. Yeah, so. it's like Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's right. You actually, now that we have swag, you get a onesie. If you come, you get an oh, adult-sized onesie you if you come back. You actually have to be on here 18 times to get <laughs> anything right. to get anything free from us. I like that. You get what's, a plushy outfit. What's going on with you? It's you a busy a, time of year. Is award season for you what tax season is for accountants? Are you just dreading and, it? And like the high holidays uh, are for us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to be playing golf next week? Right. Just For me no. personally, no, because I am not, I, I have re- sort of very purposely steered my career away from awardsy stuff. It's not my cup of tea per se. I'm all about the art. You know? Right, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is too low. You're in niches me. within niches. You barely right. pay, like if it wins an Oscar, you're against it. Yeah. You're, Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, no, no. But there are there are colleagues of mine that are that you exactly what you said it's tax season for them, and they they do follow award season, which keeps growing. I mean, award season is all year long now. <laughs> <laughs> because, and I'll explain why. Because na- uh, so many of the films that we'll talk about today, or at least one biggie, launched at Sundance 2017. Sundance 2018 already happened. That happened in January. This is now almost March. This Sundance happened to be a particularly not-so-hot one, although the best film was made by a Jewish woman, so that's nice. Um, but uh, if this had been a better year, we'd be saying already, oh, that guy's a lock for next year's Oscars and already talking about it, which I find incredibly obnoxious. All right, let's let's jump right into it. Yeah. You brought a list. I yeah. did. I, I printed out the nominated, but not every category. We're not talking about best sound effects editing in this room today. Best gaffer. We're leaving best, best gaffer. Ga- best gaffing is off. We're, okay. not, we're not talking about that, but we are going to talk about the major categories. Okay. Best picture. All right. Yeah, that's the first one on there. Do you want me to give you my, um, my let's, pick? No, let's start. Let's start. Can we start with like foreign language film? I feel like that's somewhere where we get like sometimes an Israeli one, sometimes we get yeah. something something good there. It was a bit of a Shonda this year because uh, the film Foxtrot, which I'm sure you discussed because it was very controversial in Israel because uh, it it caused Miri Regev. Because to, it's Israel and <laughs> everything is Because Israel and it's Monday. Right, that's right, right. right. No, the, well, Foxtrot is a film by the, uh, by the director named Samuel Maus. Uh, and he has made a number of good films before, including one called Lebanon, which was uh, terrific. And Foxtrot is it's kind of a three stories in one. Uh, Lior Ashkenazi's in it. He's like the Let guy. Let me guess. Yeah. He plays a brooding army officer forced to come to terms with the realities of his life. Well, there's a little bit of that. His yeah, faith is sucked. shaken <laughs> when an unexpected event. Am I close? In a world. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Um, it's very, first of all, it's, very, it's funny. It's sad. Um, the first scene, like I say, it's three scenes. The first scene is um, family gets a knock on the door. Uh, the first shot is just a mother opens the door, sees IDF officer, passes out. Oh, so she knows that no. her son has been killed. Jesus. So there's this. They deal with it. And then 15, 20 minutes later, they get another knock on the door. It's like, oh, sorry, we got the wrong guy. <laughs> so for what? So for X amount of minutes- they are, or longer, they were convinced that their this is a serious spoiler, by the way. No, it's not because it's in the first, <laughs> and this is what act. counts for comedy in Israel. Right. Hey, remember the hilarious no, 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 no. time when the this army knocked on the door? Serious. Then you cut to the son, and they're like, We got to bring the son home because their parents just had a, had a heart attack. We got to bring the son home, let him know everything's okay. But they can't contact him because he's way, way, way up in the north on a border where nothing ever happens, they barely have a re- working radio. And they cut that. It's very beautifully made. But as you mentioned before, there's an incident that makes everybody question everything. So um, 
And Miri Regev said that uh, this film is so bad for Israel and so bad for the Jews that she is no longer going to allow public funding of of film in of Israel art. Anymore. Yeah, so it was kind of a big deal because it also won an award at the Venice Film Festival. This now, is literally Jordan, why we can't have nice things. Jordan, yeah. To, yeah. to paraphrase great American leaders, I prefer movies that were nominated for Oscars. <laughs> so can we please talk right. about some of those? Well, here's the thing: it did not get nominated for best foreign language, and it is really a disgrace because it was. And I'm not just saying this because it's the home team. It was one of the better. Movies, period, of last year. It's still in theaters now, you know, one little thing. Meanwhile, the Lebanese. Right. Well, that's the other thing. And I'm not, again, I swear to you, the, the, the movie from Lebanon that got nominated. It's fantastic, I thought. It's okay. Ah. I thought the ending was This a is called better. The Insult. <laughs> yes, there's a movie called The Insult, uh, which is one of the five nominated films for, for foreign language. And the Lebanese film, I found to be at the end, it gets a little bit like an after-school special. It's a, it's a little, this, the basic premise is it's sort of an allegory. It's about a Lebanese Christian and a Palestinian uh, refugee. And they get into a little argument about something foolish, like a drainage ditch or like a, like a hose or something. And it blows up into the national incident, you know? Mm -hmm. And obviously this is an allegory uh, for the fact that there's never been a truth and reconciliation program in Lebanon after the civil war and blah, blah, blah. And they need to get their shit together. You know what I yeah. love? I love the fact that even if you didn't know what country the foreign language films were from just by the title you could totally guess <laughs> a fantastic woman oh chile <laughs> the insult lebanon <laughs> loveless russia right <laughs> it's perfect yeah so the insult is decent i thought but you liked it so what's gonna win what do you what do you what's your yeah. pick in well, this category here's the, here's the good news here's why i'm not kvetching too much about the fact that uh the israeli film foxtrot didn't get nominated that even if it had got nominated it's not the best foreign language film of this mm -hmm. year. That award sh will go and should go to the Chilean film that you just mentioned called A Fantastic, a fantastic Woman. Woman. Which is a fantastic film. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Now, can you yeah. please talk about American movie because it's America? Yeah. yeah. Here. Can Wait, we go to Best Picture? No, You're I, the one that brought up for it. You like talking about yeah, foreign Yeah, no, films. I think we should also do Call Me By Your Name. I think we should lead up to Best Picture. We can lead up to it. Can we, we so, like, there's, yeah. there's, it's not like a big crop of Jewish movies this year. No, there's but very few Jews nominated on Can we talk list. about Call Me By Your Name a little yeah, bit? Yeah, this is Because that only, got some love. This mm -hmm. is the only explicitly Jewish film, uh, not made by a Jewish director, but, uh, or a Jewish writer, but the book is based, is Jewish. It's based on Andre Asimov's right. novel of the same Masterful name. Masterful novel. Very good novel. Much love to Andre Asimov. And uh, Army Hammer uh, plays the big hunky Jew, and Timothee Chalamet plays oh, so the good. young brooding Jew. Uh, and these two Jews I'm sorry, are. Can you say Timothy Chalamet again? Timothy Chalamet. That was a fun casting call. You're very, really? very. Are you young yeah. brooding Jew? Or are you small scrawny Jew? <laughs> and it's so about I mean, a it's about a gay romance yeah. on the beach in Egypt in the sixties or seventies. Egypt. Uh, you got that backwards. It's in, it's in, I know why you said Egypt, because right. the author is from Egypt. But you didn't say it in Egypt? No. Italy. I read the novel. In my memory, it's in Egypt. It's, no. it's in, in the north Italy. of Italy. Italy. Oh, There's sorry. other novels about Egypt. Right, right, right. A little, right. tiny little uh, burg somewhere. And the father, played by um, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, who is a uh, distinguished Jew, you know, different kind of Jew. He's very, uh, he's a professor. And every year they get a new grad student TA in. And this year, which just happens to be the year that his son is blossoming into his final form uh this very <laughs> handsome rugged shorts wearing jew with a star of david necklace and he takes his shirt off a lot actually he doesn't take his shirt off a lot he just unbuttons his shirt <laughs> uh and they have a romance and it's very uh it's very touching and real and frank uh and, and lovely and lovely and it's set in in italy in the 80s so there's a great scene set to the psychedelic furs Right? Correct. 
Uh, and um, there's really, I mean, what is the story of Columbus? It's about a first love. It's like every, it's just a great movie about first love. Uh, and, and, and beautiful Italian homes. Yeah. Which yeah. is honestly all I could focus on yeah. throughout the entire movie. It's like, I want the house. Yeah, they do a lot of drink, uh, eating outside. That's they drink right. a lot of fruit juice. <laughs> there's a, the whole sequence is about apricot juice. That's right. And then there's fresh fruit dangles as a metaphor. There's a peach which is then used as a sex toy, if I may be so blunt. Spoiler alert. Well, that wasn't in the book, I don't think. Oh, it is. Yes, is it? Was, no, you clearly absolutely. read the wrong book. I read, it <laughs> I read it when it first came out. I'm OG on this book. <laughs> so that was Calling By Your Name. That is actually, of if I were voting in this Best Picture category, that would be my, my vote. Uh, but it's not going to win. Uh, the ones that are nominated, just to read them down in alphabetical order, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, I say to that, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Okay, of that list, yeah. what is the absolute worst movie? Oh, Darkest Hour. Okay, that's great. We yeah. totally agree. What yeah. is the Darkest, what is it's Darkest Hour? It's about Winston Churchill. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. The, ironically Yawn. enough, it's during Dunkirk. Yeah. And then Dunkirk is also, there's a nice kind of- This year I've actually there. seen half the nominated movies, yeah, which is okay. unusual for me. In Darkest my... Hour is a movie about a man forced to watch Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I don't know if I can survive this. Yeah. Darkest Hour is not terrible. It's just mediocre. It's like if they know? were still at the short list instead of going to this long list, yes. it wouldn't Who's have made gonna it. Who's going to win? Is it going to well, be Lady Bird? This, no, it's not going to be Lady Bird. Unfortunately, because I like that movie What's going to be Get Out? Well, I don't know. This is a very weird year. Usually there is a clear front runner. I, a lot of people are thinking it's going to be three billboards, which I... I haven't seen it, but I just... It's okay. It, it, they're actually... Why is the hype? Why is it so hyped? Well, because Frances McDormand is wonderful in it. And she... she well, you know, but... And, and then, uh, then there was a lot of controversy because uh, the movie, if I may, is not woke. Mm. Do we have sound effects we could throw in? What's woke, a woke, woke sound woke, effect? Woke, yeah. woke, woke. <laughs> it's a grogger. Yeah. It is, it's a grinder. It is not. There are some who argue that the movie is not woke, but especially because it wants to be woke. It is a film that deals about uh, racial struggles and racial injustice, and the character played by um, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, you know, he starts off a racist, and at the end, he's like, "Ah, he's a good guy," but like he, just because the movie says so, you know, and it's like, "Ah, he still kind of is a racist." And so, character. is it inappropriate for our times? Yes, it is. If this movie had come out in the 1970s, nobody would give it a, <laughs> would bat its eye. And that's only one of its problems, its political aspect, which the other problem is that it's, it is a little silly. Uh, but uh, I like it. There's a lot of good scenes in it. So, so best picture. Yes. What's going to win? I think it's either Three Billboards, Shape of Water, or Get Out. It's one of those three. What do you want to win? Of the three I just mentioned? Of, yeah, many well, of them. Of, of, of any of them. You ready for this twist? Yeah. Please say, get, them, please say get out. The best picture is not nominated this year. Oh. The best Ooh. picture is The Florida Project. Oh, that was wow. a good movie. I, that was which a I movie. saw and yeah. was a great movie. The best picture is Hold The on. Florida. Hold on. And paid for? I, <laughs> I actually bought a ticket to it, wow. I think. Wow. Amazing. That's a bringing endorsement. <laughs> uh, the Florida Project is That was an insanely good movie. So good. Uh, made by a filmmaker who's been doing very underground sort of string shoestring budget films for over a decade now. That movie was made for $12 starring people who'd never acted yeah. in anything. Well, and it's the best movie. And Willem Dafoe. Well, and, and Willem, Willem Dafoe, no, right? Will, Willem Dafoe is the only actor in there in a major role that had ever done anything before. The, yeah. the lead is a little girl who they found through the way they find little girls. That sounded weird. It sounded terrible. <laughs> and then the other lead is her mom, who's also young. She's like 21. They found her on Instagram. 
It's unbelievable. Wow. And she's phenomenal. phenomenal. And then Willem Dafoe in the in the role of Ultimate. He is nominated for supporting actor. And if he loses to Sam Rockwell, I will I will cry. You will resign your post resign as unorthodox's yeah. resident. No, Willem Dafoe is is marvelous in this film. Can I, I, can yeah. I say something about this Go movie? Ahead. This yeah. movie is set in a world you don't think exists, and then you realize it's there, which is people paying very cheap rents to live in roadside motels, which are their only residence. Yeah, and they're 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 a, a you know an eyelash away from being homeless, and they have you know they have no job skills, and and you know there's there's no. Some of them are addicts and some are the working poor. Some are, some are working in fast food restaurants but don't right. make enough money to... And then the, the, the real problem is the, 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 the mother character who's like a free spirit and fun, uh, she has to care for her daughter. Uh, the father's completely out of the picture is, you know, the only profession available to her is the oldest profession, which, you know, once you get caught doing Attorney? That, say again? Attorney? Yes, attorney. Cohen? So yeah. Once you get caught with that... They throw you out and they take your kid away. So Such it's, a great it's movie. It's very, very sad. Um, and uh, I love that film. It's beautifully shot also. It's shot in Florida, hence the name. And it's shot actually in- like, Orlando. Orlando. It's like next door to Disney. So there's, you know, the, the sort of the castle as a metaphor of like, it's out there, but they're trapped here in this- All right. Uh, I know you're trying to be all like yeah, fancy, got, fi- yeah. fancy film Can critic. I, yeah. What was the worst film you've seen this year? Oh boy. Um, that is a good question. I would say that Justice League is an abomination. I mean, a, a, a money pit. A disaster. They had years and years to work on, particularly coming off of Wonder Woman, which I thought was quite good. And it's the same, allegedly the same creative company putting it together. Very briefly, your view uh, for that movie, which I believe should win, you know, Pulitzer, Nobel Prize for <laughs> Peace, anything, b- begins thusly. Despite ample screen time and her abundant charisma, Gal Gadot, the most significant Israeli finds as the Dead Sea Scrolls, is unable to rescue this meandering, dreary, and pointless movie. Well, and it's, and it's all downhill from there. Yeah, that's it. how I felt. I mean, what, Justice League is really, really a disgrace. So let's move. Yeah. Let's move to the like the the, the future. Yeah. What, what's a movie that you've seen that you're excited about that we should go see? That's in the theaters right now, or just is um, coming well, out. You know, there's a weird, nifty sci-fi film called Annihilation with our Natalie Portman uh, is in it. Uh, I turn to you, like you know, I will never watch it because, Jewish, right? because of that fact. <laughs> you're not a Natalie Portman. He, I, I am the opposite. Hatred of, that. of Natalie Portman yep. is so offensive to me. That's not right. That's not right. Well, anyhow, she's quite good in this, and it's a very. She could cool. be in the story of my like a major film adaptation of the story of my life, she could and play, I will not watch it. She could play Lisa, and I, you wouldn't go yeah, see. Yeah, nope. All right. Should. So tell us, yeah, why why should we go see Annihilation? Because it is. Uh, you know, uh, action-oriented science fiction film, but actually intelligent, and you cannot necessarily predict it, and it's visually interesting. And that's out in theaters right now. You could you could hang up this podcast and, and go check it out. Also, another movie that is available to people watching, it did not get nominated for Best Picture, but it was nominated for like Best Supporting Actress and maybe the, the cinematography, is a movie called Mudbound, which is on Netflix uh, about African-American sharecroppers and uh, a white family living on the same land and various mishigas that happens to the two of them. I like that. Jordan Hoffman, thank you. Where, where should we follow you on Twitter? What should we be doing? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at, at Jay Hoffman. You can read my work in the Times of Israel and The Guardian and various other outlets. Will and, you be live tweeting the Oscars? You know, I sometimes do. I, You know, as you opened up, do I get exhausted by the Oscars by the end of, of award season? I am a little bit maxed out. And sometimes watching the show, it just feels like when the show ends, I can't even get to sleep for like three hours. You know what you yeah. need? You need yeah. to get drunk on Purim. 
You need oh, RM. Talk for him some Alex Jordan. Right. Jordan, thank you so much thank for you being so much here. Thank you for having me. Have a hamantash. Thank you me. for bringing us these. This. <laughs> and we are sending you an adult size onesie with the unorthodox logo on it. I'll take that we, onesie. We will have that produced. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, man. All right, good seeing you. I don't care about award shows. I don't need the shallow praise. I don't have the inkling of a yen. I'd rather sit in my den wearing black and reading ancient Grecian plays. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. To the mail. Dear Unorthodox, this email is for Stephanie. Hi. The person actually writes, this email is for Stephanie. The moment I heard the question about the best Jewish TV character, I immediately thought of Sandy Cohen. I thought about Sandy a lot during the presidential election because Bernie Sanders seemed like how Sandy Cohen would have turned out if the show continued until he was 80. No response requested for this email. I just wanted to remind you how special Sandy Cohen was as a TV Jew. Yours, Monica Arkin. This is such a good email and it's such a fabulous point because Sandy Cohen is from, from the OC. Played by... Peter Gallagher, the amazing, you know, he was always playing Jewish characters. He's one of those like Alan Alda types, yep. F. Murray Abraham, always playing Jewish characters. But he was the dad of the Cohen clan and his wife um, was Kirsten Kiki. And she was the daughter of this big developer in, in Newport Beach. And she was sort of this like wealthy heiress to this, sorry, wealthy heir, I should say, to this big fortune. And he was just sort of this like low key public defender, like sort of had those like Jewish socialist values that, 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 that Bernie does. I mean, it's just a, Fantastic point, yeah. And he was sort of part of the high life, but but still at his heart was just like a real like money a regular, hadn't, yeah money hadn't spoiled him was like the thing. he would drive his BMW to like bail kids out of jail and really like mentor them. But yeah, I love that. That's a great addition. Thank you, Monica. Uh, Shalom J. Crew. In about four weeks, we'll be welcoming a new member to our family, a baby boy. We are looking for an Israeli name for our boy that is easy to pronounce when read. Any suggestions are welcome. Yours, Merav Kalush. Obviously, Shlomo. <laughs> Every culture understands Shlomo immediately. So I will say that as a uh, longtime scholar of Israeli naming, never a participant in, but <laughs> observer of, I've always been very impressed. First time. First time. <laughs> first time namer, <laughs> long time uh, thinker. I've always been very impressed by Gad and Dan. Gad and Dan. Gad and Dan, you know, great old, super old, old, old Testament name, you know, way back to Genesis. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel like... You know, they're they're sons of Jacob, right? Both of them, and just they're easy to spell, and you know they they play any. I mean, Gad sounds kind of like Dan is a name in America as well. Gad sounds like an Israeli commando who will cut you if you hurt him. Yeah, it's Gad or Dan, except for it's pronounced God. God. I know God, and which that's is cool also too. a little bit of a thing. Like, hi, my name's God. It's like, no, it's no, it's not. You it's make totally him a maniac. Uh, I like Boaz. That's mm. a good one. Boaz is a kick-ass yeah. name. Yeah. And of course, there's always Nimrod, perfectly phonetic. 
But here's the thing. I love how names in Israel are just so gender fluid. It's like a D. Right. That could be a little boy or a little girl. They didn't used to be, though. That's kind of new, nouveau, right? Like Noah, nouveau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Avi, Ari. Yeah, the Avi as a girl is messing with. Anyway, we're, I think we agree on Boaz. We agree for like for this Nimrod this, this child. <laughs> for this child, it's got to be. I don't think we agree be, on Nimrod. We definitely don't Boaz. agree. Or do do. I like Boaz. 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 It's strong. Can yeah. we agree on Boaz? We can agree on Boaz. Yes. Unorthodox wants you to name your kid Boaz. And if you do, unorthodox. We'll send you a onesie. <laughs> So if you let us name your child, free onesie for you. That's All right. It. From the Facebook group, the best thread this week, I really feel, was the um, the is it Jewish, is it Goyish question, pajamas, Jewish, wearing pajamas around the house. This was Lucinda Lee's. She started this thread that first asked, you know, is it Jewish or Goyish to wear pajamas around the house? She said that um, that uh, her parents never were seen in pajamas except at bedtime. Um and she, but then she knew all these Gentile people whose families like lounged around in PJs. That's right. What was great was the sub thread then became someone else posed the question, wait a second, what about top sheets? Are top sheets Jewish or Goyish? And it turned out that there were lots of people whose families, including our producer, Josh Cross, who otherwise seems like a sane, non-sociopathic individual who for don't now. use top sheets. And this, by the way, cuts very close to home for us because my wife is from a family where they don't use top sheets. I, I, I cannot fathom that. Yeah. It, it's, it is, it is but, the last but, fault line of civilization. Yeah. But you know what I love is like this a point in life when you realize that this thing that your family did specifically isn't just like a, a quirk of your own family. It actually could be part of something bigger. So I also bigger like movement. our need to be like, is this Jewish or is this not Jewish? Because it's true. It's like so much <laughs> there is so much shared experience and then they're clearly according to the group is also not right. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? I wear pajamas all the time. Listen, it, it, I'm wearing pajamas right is, now. This is to me not about Jewish or not Jewish. This is about civilization. We've, we've given up top hats we've given up morning coats we've given up basically everything waist coats we have two things two things standing between us and the beasts of the field right the opposable thumb it's the top sheet (laughs) and the gin martini that's it (laughs) that's it if you want to send a letter like you want naming advice for your forthcoming Jewish child or, or you want, you know, for which we'll give you a, a free unorthodox onesie, write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave us a voicemail at 914-570-4869. That's 914-570-4869. And in time for Passover, we're doing another Ask Unorthodox episode. If you have any questions about Judaism, about Jewish people, about weird Jewish customs, about uh, whether Jews use duvets or top sheets only, Send them to email us and, and record a voice note for us as well. Yep. Then we're going to tell you yeah the duvet top sheet thing. We will solve that by Passover. That's that's our commitment to you. Uh, some live shows coming up March 8th. Really soon. I, I will be giving a personal Mark Oppenheimer live show at St. Michael's College in Vermont. This is Thursday, March 8th at 4.30 p.m. I will be at St. Michael's College. And then um, March 21, the whole crew. We'll be at the Manhattan JCC, our home, our uptown home, with Bart Campolo. And if you don't know who Bart Campolo is, Google him and me, and you'll see the article I wrote about him, and that is all ye need to know. He will be our Gentile of the Week and our Jew of the Week. No, it'd actually be awesome to have a drum roll here. Is none other than former Senator Joseph Shlomo Mordechai Yehoshua Pinchas Shmoikel Liel. Lieberman, Joe Lieberman, former senator of Connecticut, former vice presidential candidate. <laughs> we'll be doing it up with us at JCC Manhattan. <laughs> March 21. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. 
Our Gentile of the week is Asha Rangappa. She's a former FBI agent specializing in counterintelligence investigations. She's a senior lecturer at Yale and and a CNN analyst. And she writes and she appears on TV. And she's just amazing and is super badass. And we're happy to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So following uh, the, the movie theme that we've had going on this, this program, uh, who is the best FBI agent oh, in a movie? Oh, Like when you join the FBI, the presu- I love the, who are you I love in the your presumption. I love the presumption that like when she joined the FBI, her role models were from the movies. Of course. <laughs> I mean, what else would they be? Like, you know, from like... From real life? What, All right, let's... Well, I mean... This wasn't when I joined the FBI, but I'm a big fan of Stan Beeman from The Americans. And it's not a movie, but... What about Carrie Matheson? How is she? Like, what do you think about her character from Homeland? Oh, I hate Homeland. Okay. Tell us why. I watched, like, the first episode, and there was, like, some dumb scene where, like, she goes in and, like, tries... Like, she's a CIA officer, but she goes in and talks to the judge about getting a fight. I mean, it was just stupid, so I stopped watching it. So do you not like the shows that are just completely inaccurate? Yeah. Which is every show, pretty Which much, Which is right? every show. So that's why, like, the Americans I actually really like because I feel like, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's apart from the fact that the FBI agents extrajudicially kill people and sleep with their sources and pass classified information, it's mostly accurate. And you've never <laughs> done any of these things? <laughs> no. So I read about you that you were a vegetarian. Yes. And what was that like at Quantico? Like, when you go through these training programs, you don't picture people being vegetarians. I was starving. What'd you eat? <laughs> like basically, they had a salad bar. I've heard that it's become more vegetarian friendly, but this was, you know. This well, was, now they probably have like quinoa. Th- right. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was just hungry a lot. Uh, I would go off campus and <laughs> eat Mexican food. And the physical training, I mean. And it was, yeah, it was arduous. Meanwhile, so. you're having, so, I mean, had you been, had you been athletic before? The, I mean, how much did you have to up your game to get through the. I had to up my game seriously because, you know, I've always, you know, I ski, I like went to the gym occasionally, you know, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm not. Don't curl. look at us when you say I, I ski. We're Jews. <laughs> like, that's the foreign language. Oh, you don't ski. Jewish. Okay. No, we, we're, we're debunking that. I love that I your, fam- your family got here and within half a generation you're on the slopes. The, totally. Like that's just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like I swim. Because you know where they weren't but, skiing? India. Right? <laughs> that's right. My that's dad right. took it up when he was 40. Uh, but, you know, what the FBI tests, their physical training is much more like military stuff I and mean, push-ups and pull-ups and, you know, shuttle runs, which I hadn't done since elementary school. And I forgot about shuttle <laughs> runs. Yeah. Oh. So, you know. I'm tired I, already. <laughs> Just listening to you. Yeah, and I ended up, I was actually in a car accident a week before I was supposed to report to Quantico, so I had to delay it by four weeks. So I showed up with a rib injury, and I failed the PT test on the first day, like pretty spectacularly. Like your, I got negative points. Probably your first, your first failure ever, I think. It was my first failure ever. I had never, I mean, you don't understand, I failed bad. Like there What's was only the one guy below me, and I think it was because he was hung over that day. I like that guy. What's the test? It's push-ups, pull-ups, uh, running a mile, sit-ups, and a shuttle run. For each event, you could get up to 10 points, depending on what you did. So um, zero to 10 points, and you could get negative points. And so you got negative 38. <laughs> so I was fine on the mile run. 
I would have been fine on the sit-ups except I had this rib injury. Like by the end, I got like 10 points on, on that. But um, it was it was the upper body strength stuff for me, um, the push-ups and pull-ups. And they wanted you to do military stuff, you know, with the mm-hmm. arms breaking oh, nine degrees. Lord. And, you know, when they would count, if you didn't do it, they would just repeat. Like they'd be like, one, two, two, two. And Ooh. then you're just getting exhausted, oh, you know. You've taken so, me back to high school wrestling practice. That's what I mean. It was really hard. So, um Public confidence in the FBI right now is really being undermined by a president who seems not to believe in the FBI that he ultimately oversees. Um, like, what's the state of the FBI? What's what's true? What's not true in the current state of the FBI? Is 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 it a, a well-run ship? Is it a politicized disaster? Yeah. Well, so there's a reality of the FBI. And then, as you mentioned, there's the perception. Right. right. And one of the things they always told you in the FBI is perception is reality. That when you are law enforcement, how people... What people think really shapes, you know, how you can do your job. So they're almost what the reality is, I think, is less important than the perception. The reality is, is this is not a political organization. People don't talk politics. I mean, you're so ingrained to have to have each other's backs and you may be in dangerous situations that you're not going to get into arguments over some policy issue near the water cooler. Um, You keep your head down, you do your work. Uh, There's a lot of camaraderie. I think that, I mean, I was, I went in after a pretty controversial election, right? Bush v. Gore. I don't remember talking about those elections or knowing who voted for whom. I think that with the 2016 election, in many ways, some of the missteps by James Comey, I think may have made it kind of a point of contention internally. I'm not sure. But I think when he was fired, that reunified most of the FBI. I think he was very well liked and admired. And I think it kind of brought the FBI back together. I'm so glad you said the thing about perception, because my perception of the FBI is that you spend most of your time uh, looking for alien conspiracies, (laughs) uh, which you seem to be pretty good at. So see, and my perception is true. Probably my perception is they're always on stakeout. Like they're just always in a car. Outside, <laughs> they're just always watching, and then it's boring, but kind of, kind of exciting, kind of cool. <laughs> and there's a lot of coffee. It's like you know, if one person falls asleep, the guy in the car. Right. Isn't it, by stuff. the way, remarkable that we've now talked to Asha for like 20 minutes and actually have not asked her a single question relevant to her job? <laughs> <and expertise>. well, <laughs> just our idiotic notion of our world. So you're on TV all the time now. Like, what are you? Are you being brought on to talk about Russia? Is that the thing, or are there other other items that you? So I'm a legal and national security analyst for CNN. So I kind of straddle both um, some of the legal moves that Mueller's making, uh, you know, things that go into constitutional issues, like can Trump refuse to talk to Mueller and, and those kinds of things. And then also actually what the, what Russia may have been doing from the intelligence standpoint. So bridging both of those together. What is the biggest national security threat that we are not even aware of? Um Sea monsters. Anything? Well, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think what you are seeing now is is something that people are becoming aware of that you most people didn't know. Like you probably didn't know that the country's crawling with spies, right? And that we've been trying to stop them for a very long time. I think that definitely uh, Russia and its attempts to undermine 
you know, our the legitimacy of our institutions and faith people have in our democratic processes is a threat. I also think China is a threat, particularly from an intelligence perspective, because many of our trade secrets get stolen. And that puts us at a disadvantage, obviously, economically, right? And so um, probably in the long run, I would think that that is a bigger threat. I think terrorism is an easy thing to for that people can latch onto because it's so visceral and visible, but you don't think about really the long-term and invisible dangers that, you know, psyops or economic theft can cause our country. The stuff about which there are no Showtime series. That's right. right. Yet. Aren't you super bummed that like this is now the the frontier or the front line? Because like you joined and you had to like run a mile in six minutes and do like, <laughs> now it's like 30 push How fast can you hack into? Now it's like, how fast can you drink the Mountain Dew Code Red? Nobody's <laughs> asked you to kick indoors anymore. Right. <laughs> no. no. Um, I mean, the training, interestingly enough, though, they still, I, I know Director Comey reinstituted a periodic physical fitness test for agents who are already in, like past right. Quantico. People were so bummed. They're like, oh my God, I have to like run a mile again. But in the future, um, all FBI agents probably look like me. They'll be fat, bearded nerds. <laughs> like, excuse me, I'm doing operational work for national security now. But it is a different kind. You know, that was post 9-11, the big shift that the FBI had to do is move from being a reactive law enforcement agency into a proactive intelligence and counterterrorism, counterintelligence, um, you know, institution. And that required a cultural shift within the FBI. And it was it was Bob Mueller, actually, who kept the FBI together and kept it from getting split off, which was one of the things that the 9-11 Commission had wanted to do. Um, but he took that off the table. So um, can you give us a sense? I know you're not at the FBI right now, but what does it mean for the organization where everyone is devoting, you know, so much to this this protection and to counterintelligence and counterterrorism? What does it mean to to have the president tweet sort of just like dumb things disparaging the FBI? What does it mean to be in that organization and to feel that? Um, you know, I don't I I'm sure it's there is a certain loss of morale. I do think that the biggest issue, you know, they're going to do their work regardless. The investigations proceed in a systematic way. It doesn't mean they're going to change what they do. But you have to remember that the bread and butter of the FBI is getting people to talk to you and getting people to help you and give you information and agree to be a source or an informant for you. And when when their perception of the FBI gets shaped by, you know, these tweets that you can't trust the FBI, that that really hurts agents on the ground. It also hurts agents when they have to go testify in court in criminal cases because there are juries there who are now thinking, oh, this is a politically biased, they cheat, they, you know, lie. So I think it really has an impact more on the practical um, ability of the FBI to do their job than, you know, in terms of that the agents themselves care are going to change what they do in their investigations. So more important, let's talk about the Jews. Oh, okay. You've known a lot of Jews. You've gone to institutions where there are Jews. The FBI may be lower on the Jews than, say, They're lower on the Jews, Yale Law School. Is there anything you've ever wondered about the Jews that we can answer for you since you have a panel of Jewish experts right here? Do you feel like yes. you have us figured out or do you have any lingering questions? I have a question. So okay. you remember my roommate, Jen. Of course. And I lived with her for three years. She's yep. Jewish. So she was absolutely convinced that there were a lost tribe of Jews in India. 
And she was like, you know, you could be Jewish. You just never know. And I was like, I've never heard about a lost tribe of Jews in India. In fact, what's interesting is I know Christian Indians, Catholics, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, obviously. Um, I've never met an Indian Jew. So, um, first of all, have you not yet done your Ancestry.com or 23andMe to find out how Jewish you are? No, I have not. So, that's that's for the next time you're on the show, right? Okay. <laughs> because we're going to discover that you're part Russian, part you know, part Slav, part Jew, and part black. Um <laughs> Uh, there, there are Indian Jews. John Rolkar, who was at medical school when you were in law school in New Haven, was, I believe, an Indian Jew. No, there. I don't know that there are lost tribes. I don't think anyone talks about the lost tribes. <laughs> no, but there, there is actually a, a tribe believed to have, that is believed to have been. Yeah. The but, Bene yes. Menashe. Yes. yes. There are definitely Indian Wait, Jews. Wait, what is this? It's Bene so Menashe. So basically, it's similar to how there are people who say they sort of come from these Af- lost tribes in Africa, there's one in India. And so what, what it's called B'nai Menashe. Mm-hmm. Menashe, how do you say that? Menashe. Menashe. And it's, sorry, I'm going to, this is from Tablet. The, the part of the B'nai Menashe, a tribe of nearly 9,000 from the Manipur district in northeastern India, bordering Burma and Bangladesh, who believe they are the descendants of the Israelite tribe of Menashe, exiled from the kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BCE. Mm-hmm. And there actually are people bringing them to Israel now because they identify as as Jewish and and. It's kind of amazing. And generationally, they continue. Yep. I think it's attenuating, though. Like, uh, the the two or three I've known, I think maybe one parent was Jewish, and, and they're having trouble finding a Jewish spouse in India. And, like, I think, like the like many scattered diaspora communities, like, it's, it's, it's under threat demographically. But, yeah, definitely. They have Jewish identities and Jewish practice. And, yeah. Okay. Do we have yeah. numbers? Like, what are we talking about? Like, 9,000. Yeah, yeah 9, today, 000. I don't, yeah. yeah. That's not I think a lot in a country of one point. Billion. Well, it's well for Jews, it's a lot. <laughs> that's right. For Jews, that's a lot. Yeah. We take our numbers where we can get them. That's yeah. like okay. 900 minions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the point is, your old roommate, Jen, was not lying to you. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. No, I act- thought she was totally making it up. You owe her a big apology. You thought this mean- was an ongoing roommate prank? I was like, no, I Asha, thought- you're- I think she like really wanted to set me up with people and then felt that like maybe uh, <laughs> like that I didn't qualify and then was trying to find a way around it. This was like before the Om Shalom craze. You know what I mean? You know, when what's the Om Shalom? The Om Shalom craze of two thousand four. Wait, what's that? Hold on, this is going to be the big takeaway. What is the Om Shalom craze? Well, you know, the Hindus and Jews marrying. Like, I feel like that's become more popular over the last. But who uses that expression, Om Shalom? The Hindus and Jews who marry each other. I mean, there is the great young adult novel, My Basmati Bat Mitzvah, but (laughs) there is. It's at my house right now. I say. I mean, I've heard Om Shalom wedding. You haven't heard that. There's a congregation, Om Shalom. (laughs) (laughs) Our synagogue is based on Jewish fusion. No religion has all of the truth. They only have a piece of the truth. Oh, Asher and Gappa. Thank you for being our Gentile of the Week. But we didn't even ask, do you believe it's true you're the first ever Indian-American woman to be in the FBI? Because your press in India Times, in the Indian press, they claim that for you. Is it true? (laughs) It may be. So my partner was um, Indian. And he tracked all the Indians that were coming in, right? (laughs) So he told me that I was the first Indian-American female special agent. So there were like analysts and linguists and and whatnot. So this is completely unofficial and coming from another Indian. So I love that. That seems like the Jews will always know like who won the the first (laughs) Jew to play in this sports team in this league and then to win this prize. That's the most Jewish thing I've ever heard. So maybe I think that's like a really strong argument for both you and your partner being Jewish. I think it's you. I think it's you. How can we follow you? How can we tra- track your, your TV appearances and so forth? Yes. So you can follow me on Twitter at Asha 
Rangappa underscore. There are other Asha Rangappas, so don't follow the wrong one. <laughs> They're imposters. I have a check mark. Fake news. <laughs> you do. Wow. I do have a check mark. Yes, and that's pretty much the best way. And you know, I, I'm on CNN. Um, at whenever they need me, basically. <laughs> whenever something bad goes but, down. But um, I do have a website, asharangapa.com, and I do put my clips there and, and my most recent articles, etc. So you can always visit there to check it out. Thank you for being our Gentile of the Week. <laughs> thank you. Asharangapa, thank, thank you, you okay. so much. Um, Mazel Tovs. Liel, wh- whom, whom do you have a Mazel Tov for this week? I have a Mazel Tov for a miracle. You think Purim's a miracle? You think Hanukkah's a Jewish miracle? Those are, those are kids' stuff. You know what's a real Jewish miracle? What's that? The Yeshiva University Maccabees. The basketball team of Yeshiva University has ascended miraculously to NCAA Division Three tournament. It's amazing. Amazing. Wow. And you could follow uh, the story of their ascendance in Tablet, where it'll be covered by our very own Yaya Rosenberg. We should do a bracket that's just them. It's basically (laughs) just them. It's just them and like uh, anti-Jewish like That's opponents right. throughout history. It's them against Amalek. Yes. <laughs> every, every category would be the Jews, the not Jews. Stephanie Butnick. My mazel tov is to Joe Nathan, who's Tablet's food columnist. She's amazing. Uh, she literally wrote the book on Jewish food and Jewish cooking. Um, she Her latest cookbook is King Solomon's Table, a culinary exploration of Jewish cooking from around the world. And That's it amazing. just won the International Association of Culinary Professionals Cookbook Award. And she is awesome, and that's we just love glad you, she's happy to see her getting love. Mazel tov, Joan. And mine is to my, it's a kind of a home front uh, mazel tov today. My daughter, Ellie, I made it to her gymnastics practice last night, and she almost nailed her kip. Um, I will tell you that a year ago, I had no idea what a kip was. And and now I know I know what like a tinsica is. Is it like a smoked a, fish? A kip. And it's all these moves, all those moves they do on beams and things like they, they Those have names. It's like an axle and a lutz in in figure skating and a um, a, um, um, a flibberty gibbet in curling and a kip. <laughs> I just made that up. A kip in gymnastics is a real thing. And she almost nailed it last night. She actually told me later that there was a little assist from her coach standing there. But like seeing her work so hard out hour after hour after hour and then she goes to our basement where she's bought a kind of like foam balance beam it's not obviously the real balance beam but it's it's an approximation of one that you can practice with at home her her passion her commitment to a sport that is not shall we say my favorite is really bringing me around so mazel tov elizabeth adelaide oppenheimer the kids oh, that's are such a good right. name how is it she going to fill that out on standardized tests it's going to take a while elizabeth adelaide eliadi Oppi. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or, 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 or call us and leave a voicemail at 914-570-4869. For merchandise, go to bit.ly slash unorthoshirt. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at sputnik. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Shira Telushkin with help from Julia Frakes. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by a, a wonder team of Rabbi Shlomo Buxbaum of Aish of Greater Washington and Rabbi Nolan Leibowitz of Adat Shalom in LA, perhaps the only rabbi named Nolan, and Rabbi Will Berkovitz of Jewish Family Services in Seattle, and Rabbi Brad Boxman in Florida. We're thinking of you, man. If you think your rabbi should be selected to offer rabbinic supervision, write to me at moppenheimer at tabletmag.com. We recorded Argo Studios, also the sonic home of Michael Ian Black. This week we were engineered by Noriko Okabe. We are proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. <laughs> <laughs>